Yes, thank you both. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Amen, everyone. So, yes, yes, we do need to, uh, we have some prayer requests this morning. Uh, uh, we have some that are ill and recovering. So, we want to pray for, uh, we want to pray for Jody. Jody had a, a, a surgery, and uh, she's at Memorial Hospital. Okay, talked to her yesterday, and... Um, just in a lot of pain right now, so we need to really keep her in prayer, okay? So we're going to keep Jody in prayer. Also, Mary Creation has been sick for a number of days now, and so we want to pray for Mary. Mary, also, Bruce, I, I got to visit him briefly on Friday. Also, having a hard time, uh, he's at the uh, Garden City Rehabilitation, and um, he's still having some difficulties. So we want to pray for Bruce, okay? All right. So, so let's let's go to the Lord uh, for these prayers. Let's let's bow together. Father God, Lord, we want to pray right now for Jody, our sister Jody. Uh, Lord, we just pray your comfort upon her. Uh, send your Holy Spirit, Lord, just to comfort her, Lord. The Holy Spirit to comfort her, just to. Help her to ease the pain, Lord, and, and uh, get the rest and the healing that she needs, Father. Please, Lord, help her in this way. God, we also pray for Mary Cretion. Uh, has been sick a number of days now, and uh, we just pray that you, as well, help her to get her rest and healing, Lord. Just heal her body, please, Lord. Work through her medicines and uh, just uh, bring her back to health and bring her back to us, Lord. And, Minister to her, Lord, by your spirit, please. Father, we pray for Bruce. He's having a, a difficult time, Lord, uh, in the rehabilitation. And uh, we just pray that you uh, be help him with his rehabilitation. Help him, uh, just give him healing, uh, Lord, in, uh, in the surgery that he had. And uh, help, him to, help him to heal up, Lord. We just pray uh, uh, that your spirit... Uh, that your spirit minister to his body, minister to his, uh, where he had his surgery, Lord, and help him, Lord, by your mercy and by your grace. You're the God of all mercy, Father of all mercy, God of all compassion, and we thank you, Lord. Please help him in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sweetheart, can you give me my Bible? <laughs> I forgot. Preacher's not much good without a Bible. <laughs> I know some by heart, but not that much. <laughs> All right. Over here. Okay, everybody. So we are continuing in our series in the book of Acts. In just a moment, we'll be turning there. You might want to get ready. We'll be in Acts 1 in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, as we, uh, this is our second week in, in the book. And, uh, you know, I want to uh, talk about, first of all, one of the last year, I mean, we're just brand new into this new year. Last year, one of the great discoveries that was made was the discovery of the, uh, the wreck of the Endurance, the ship of the Endurance. This was a ship that sailed back in 1914, and it sailed to the Antarctic. It was found under the, under the sea, right outside the Antarctic, and uh, the... The, the leader, it was actually an expedition that was happening. And they were trying to go to the, north, the South Pole, the Antarctica and the South Pole. 
The leader of that expedition was called Ernest Shackelford. My wife knows that because she teaches. That's one of the lessons she teaches her third graders almost every year. Oh, and sixth graders. Okay, and sixth graders. So what's interesting about that, uh, just a year prior to that, remember this is 1914, there was another expedition going the other direction. There was an expedition to the North Pole, and that was um, a ship. It, it came. This was out of Canada, and it, it was a ship called uh, the Curlick, or, or the Carlick. I'm sorry, the Carlick. And the leader of that expedition was Velimore, Velimore Stephenson. Now, both ships, both ships ran into trouble. Both ships uh, were trapped by solid ice packs. Both, uh, both crews were faced with life-threatening situations. But the outcome of the two expeditions couldn't be more different. To one that went to the north, the crew that went to the north uh, from the Curlick, led by Stephenson, the crew degenerated into selfish, mean-spirited, cutthroat individuals that ended up Half the crew of 25 ended up dying in the south. Shackleford's crew was faced with the same problems, the cold, the food, the shortages, the stress and the anxiety. But his crew responded with teamwork, self-sacrifice, and astonishing good cheer. In, in the end, each leader, the one to the north, Stephenson, the one to the south, Shackelford, stayed true to his core values as a leader. Now, Stephenson, the one going to the north, his value was the success of his journey without caring for his crew. He said, and I quote, he communicated that, uh, that even if the lives of the crew, are, those the crew are secondary to the accomplishment of the work. And his crew picked up on that to the very end. His drive to succeed and to see succeed only led to tragedy for himself and to his crew. Uh, Shackelford, on the other hand, on a very much of a contrast, was a leader who focused on the value and dignity of his teammates. At one of the lowest points of their trip, Shackelford wrote this, the task was now to secure the safety of the party. The well-being of his team is what drove him to put others first. And he, he actually gave away his own mittens and his own boots. Sometimes he would volunteer for the longest night watches. And his crew would see this. He valued each person. And he forged a team that was willing to share their rations with each other even when they were going to uh, brink of starvation. Through his example and through his sacrificial leadership, Shackelford was able to accomplish his ultimate goal, saving the lives of all of his crew members. Now, ultimately, both ships were lost at sea. But, but, incredibly, all of the crew of Shackelford, in Shackelford's leadership were rescued and survived. Two different ships, two different leaders. Do you know what? Jesus, Jesus, is the leader of his ship. His ship is the Christian church. The Christian church is, 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 is in the book of Acts, the Christian church began and its crew, uh, as we saw last week, started on the beginning of this 
the beginning of our journey, the beginning of our uh, our journey, our voyage through history with the ultimate goal of heaven. Okay? Now, Jesus is the leader of his ship. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When Jesus was ascended into heaven, he was on the Mount of Olives. We saw that last week. And he told his disciples to go back, to go back to Jerusalem. They were going to wait for, wait to start this journey of carrying the gospel throughout the world. They were going to wait for the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill their sails. Okay? And so let's go ahead and pick up the reading from there. We're in Acts chapter 1, verses 26. I'm sorry, verse 12 to 26. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. So if you're able and willing, if you can stand with me together, we'll read from God's word. Acts 1, 12 to 26. And it says this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit long ago through David concern, uh, Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of a number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their own language, Akadama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one, one of us, for, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belonged. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Amen. You may be seated. May God's word be blessed. Amen. Amen. Jesus gives his instructions before he ascended into heaven. 
He told his disciples. He told his disciples to go and to wait. To wait for the promise that the Father promised to give them. To wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now they didn't know what to expect. But they trusted Jesus. They believed what he told them. And they, they, they believed that he would lead them. And indeed he did. As Jesus led his church at the beginning, Jesus leads his church today. Jesus is leading his church. Do you believe that? Jesus is leading his church. Immediately, here's what happens. Jesus goes before his church. He guides his church. He gifts his church to be his church. Jesus, you know, he, here's the thing. Here's the thing. His church is his body. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the, Jesus is the head of his body. He's the captain of his crew. He's the shepherd of his sheep. It's the Lord Jesus who leads us. He leads us as we follow his church. This was a, we're going to look at two specific ways this morning that Jesus leads us as a church. Two specific ways, and the first way is this. Jesus leads his church through the prayers of believers. Verse 12. Verse 12. It says, The apostles then returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. This was about three-quarters of a mile from the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended. And then they, what they did is this. Immediately after Jesus ascended, they began this walk. And I'm sure they talked together as they walked together about what they witnessed together. The ascension of Jesus Christ. And so now in verse 13, they get there. They get back to Jerusalem. What do they do? Let's take a look. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Upstairs. See, this was the upper room. This was the upper room. This very possibly was the same room where Jesus shared with them the Last Supper. It was a room from, that was a familiar room. It was a large room. And it was about to become a prayer room. A prayer room. Jesus leads his church through the prayers of his believers. Now, verse 13 lists all of his disciples and uh, uh, I, liked, I like how it lists all 11 of them right there. We read it just a moment ago. And um, you've, got, uh, you've got Peter, John, and James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All the disciples were gathered together in the upper room. Now, though that little group of 11 had now expanded to 120, as we just read. So there's so got to have been a large room. There are 120 people in there. And they're praying. And they're praying constantly. All together. Because Jesus had told them, he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And they knew that waiting didn't mean doing nothing. If there's one thing they learned from Jesus in the last three years, it was the importance of prayer. So they went right to it. And they started to pray. And how did they pray? Verse 14 says they were all together to constantly praying, along with the women 
along with Mary, Mary, Jesus' mother, along with Jesus' brothers. They were praying. They were beginning to pray. And how did they pray? They, they, pro- they prayed with devoted uh, prayer. Devoted prayer. You know, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, be devoted in prayer. That's what we're to do. We're to be devoted in prayer. That's what disciples of Jesus Christ do. They're devoted in prayer. Prayer was a hallmark of the early church, and it should be a hallmark of our church today. Amen? Praying. Praying. Praying together. The disciples were praying. You know, prayer is something we're commanded to do, and prayer is something we should be committed to do. Prayer is our lifeline to God. Prayer. Prayer. To keep your relationship with God alive and strong. Yes, you have to stay in his word. But you also have to stay in prayer. You have to stay in prayer. Pray pray as though your life depended upon it. Because it does. Your spiritual life with God depends upon your prayer life. Communicating with God all the time. And they were praying. And they were praying, you know, to keep your boat afloat with the Lord. To keep your boat afloat with the Lord. Learn the habit of praying. Make it a habit. Make it a habit. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, as we said, it says, Be devoted to prayer with being watchful with thanksgiving. Being watchful with thanksgiving. Now, the Apostle Paul, back in the end of Acts, in chapter 27, the Apostle Paul this is at the close of the, 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 the history of the, in, in Acts, was falsely accused. And he was taken as a prisoner by the Romans. He appealed to Caesar. So they, they, they agreed to his appeal. They sent him, along with other prisoners, on a ship to Rome to be heard by the courts there. Now on their trip, there, 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 there came a great storm, kind of like we had last night. <laughs> wow, that's a windy one, huh? Hurricane force winds. And uh, things became very dangerous and things became very scary. The crew, there was over 200 people on that boat with the prisoners and the sailors combined. The crew became very frightened. And they, and, and they lost hope. They, came to, they got to a place where they just all lost hope. They thought they were not going to get saved, be saved. But Paul, Paul stood up and he told them, How the night before, God had sent an angel, spoke to him, told him how they would all be saved. And he encouraged them to eat. It had been 14 days since anyone had eaten because of all the suspense that was going on. He encouraged them. And in his encouragement to, to eat, he also set the example of prayer. I'm in Acts 27. Acts 27, verse 34, it says this. Paul, when he stood up among, when he stood up among them, in verse 34, he said this. He's trying to encourage them. He says this. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Then there, verse 35. After he said this, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it. He began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Here's what I love. 
Here's what I love about that verse. It says, he gave thanks to God in front of them all. You see, this was Paul's profession, public profession of faith through prayer. Yeah, Paul, prayer was ingrained as a part of his life. It's something he did constantly on a daily basis. And right now he's setting the example here to everyone on board this ship. Hardened that they may be. That he was a man devoted to prayer. The disciples, the disciples in the upper room were devoted to prayer. They were praying constantly. The New American Standard Bible says it this way in verse 14. They were constantly devoted with one mind. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not only were they devoted to prayer, but they were united in prayer. United in prayer. Verse 14, New American Standard, I just quoted, says they were of one mind. They were of one mind. They were praying together. You know, when you pray together, it binds you together. You've heard the phrase, the couples that pray together stay together. Well, I encourage all couples to do just that. Because here's what what happens. When you pray, you're not only joining your minds together, you're joining your spirit in the Lord. That's what we do as a church. When we pray together, we're we're, we're, we're being united. We're being united in the Lord, just like Jesus wants us to be. Now, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all couples to pray together. My wife and I practice that, and I'm sure many of you practice it even more than we. But praying together as a couple, it unites you. It unites you. Practicing prayer, praying together, joining together your mind and in your spirit. And this is what they were doing in the upper room. Now, Jesus prayed in in John 17 that his church would be united, that his church would be one. You know, John 17 is a great high priestly prayer. And Jesus prayed it on the night uh, of the Last Supper. And he prayed that his church would be one, not only at that time, but his church throughout, throughout the centuries. I want to read to you just a little bit of it. John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus prays for the unity of his church, and he says this. He says, I will remain in the world, praying to the Father, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. You see, our oneness should be a reflection of the oneness of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit within the one God. Jesus goes on to pray for their protection, verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, one of the schemes of Satan is always to scatter, to divide. Jesus is praying for the church to remain as one. He continues, verse 21. He says it this way. He prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. May they all may they also be in us that the world, listen to this, that the world may believe that you sent me. Our oneness is a witness to the world. The oneness of the body of Christ. Jesus prayed for our unity. He prayed for our oneness. And as they prayed in the upper room, they were united in their prayers. Jesus is leading his church 
through the prayers of his believers, not only devoted prayer, not only united, were they united in prayer, but third, they were directed, directed in prayer. While they were joined together in prayer, the Spirit of the, the Holy Spirit led Peter to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit led Peter to quote the Word of God. That, that, that they understood through God's Word that Judas' betraying Jesus was prophesied in Scripture. And he says it in this way in verse, verse 20 of Acts 1. He's quoting from Psalms chapter 69, verse 20. He says, it says, For Peter, for said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. You see, God's way, here's the thing. God leads us. When we pray, he leads us to his word. He leads us to his word. Peter was led to the word of God, the prophecy of the word of God. Now, this was, a, this was a very important thing, that they understood that another should take Judas' prayer. What does it mean for us? This is a word that God revealed to, to Peter when Peter prayed. God directs us by God's Spirit who leads us to God's word. What does that mean for us today? It means it's important for us to be in his word so he can speak to us through his word. Amen. We, we want God to speak to us. They understood that another should take Judas's place because God's word had said so. So now, they needed to decide who. They had to come up. They, they needed to, to carefully, this needed to be carefully prayed for, a decision that was not quickly made. This was not to be off the cuff. You know, when it comes to major decisions in life, it's important that they are not quick decisions. It's important. That, somebody once said it this way. Somebody said, once said it this way. There are good decisions and there are quick decisions, but there are few good quick decisions. <laughs> All right? All right? We need to be careful not to make hasty decisions when it comes to major decisions in life. We need. So what do we need to do to make sure that our decisions are wise unto the Lord. How do we decide? How do we, how do we make our decisions before the Lord? Ultimately, we want to seek God's will. Ultimately, we want Jesus to guide us. So we ultimately need to go to him in prayer. Because we know we cannot trust, the Bible tells us, we can't, not to lean on our own understanding. We know there's one we can trust. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make straight your paths. Look to him. Look to him. But take your time. Take your time. Seek him out. This is what the, this is what the apostles were doing. The disciples in the upper room they were looking, so look to God first. The disciples had a major decision to make. Who would be this 12th disciple? You know, even Jesus, even Jesus, before he picked the 12 disciples, the Bible tells us, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, he went up on a mountain and he prayed all night long for who he would, disciples would be. So now, 
the disciples go back to Jesus, the risen Christ. And they're going to appeal to Jesus to help them to find who the next, the 12th disciple should be. Let's pick it up, verse 23 and 24. It says, they nominated two men, Joseph of Barsabbas, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Now, verse 24, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. Show us which of these men you have chosen. And what do they do in verse 26? It says they cast lots. Hmm. Casting lots. This was a common practice in the Old Testament to determine God's will. This is the last time this would occur in the Bible because the Holy Spirit was about to fall. There was no longer a necess necessary to do this. But casting lots was they put the name on little stones. And they put the stones in a little vessel or jar. They shake the jar, kind of like throwing dice. <laughs> and and, the, jar, and the, the stone that came out with a name on it, that, that was God's will. They trusted that was God uh, was in charge of that stone that would fall. And so that's what they did. As I say, since the Holy Spirit came and after, the, after Pentecost, the Bible tells us all who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. We have the Spirit now to lead us. But they did this through prayer. They did this through prayer. They, and they trusted the Holy Spirit. And the prayers of the believers, the prayers of the believers that Jesus leads his church through their prayers of the devoted prayer, united prayer, directed prayer. Not only does Jesus lead his church through the prayers of believers, but he leads his church through the leaders that he chooses. It was necessary to set up a criteria for who this replacement for Judas would be. This was an extremely important position. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, The church is built on the apostles, on the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. This was a very important position. The church is, the, it, the apostles were foundational for the entire building of the Christian church. Very important. So they needed to know who Jesus would choose. Who Jesus would choose. You know, we've already seen uh, how crucial it is to have right leadership with the two ships, the Endurance and the Carlock. Uh, they both had different, going in different directions with different kind of leaders. And, and the lives of every crew member on that boat, on their boats, were affected by the values of their leaders. The disciples here in Acts had the criteria. They had to narrow the field, and they narrowed the field as much as they could. They came in, they came, they brought it down to two men on their own. Verse 23. It says they came up with Matthias and Joseph, called Barsabbas. In their minds, that was clear enough. But they were they, they, these are the leaders who are qualified. The leaders who are qualified. They were qualified. These were the qualifications. Those were qualified by Jesus leading the church. What qualifications now did Jesus choose uh, to lead, uh, to find his leaders in the church? 
See, the disciples chose everything they knew from the outward appearance. Uh, this is as far as they could go. You know, they chose uh, from these qualifications, you know, on the resume of these candidates, <laughs> there was two qualifications, all right? The candidates had two qualifications. Let's take a look, verse 21 and 22. Here's what they were. Verse 21. The first qualification, there it's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time Jesus was taken up from us. So, that is the first qualification. He had to be a close associate with Jesus. He had to participate in the ministry with Jesus. He had to be uh, personally learn from Jesus. You know, the word disciple means learner. He had to be with Jesus from the start, the, the baptism of John, all the way through his earthly ministry to the very end. He had to experience the ups and downs of life with Jesus to see how Jesus handled things. And isn't that what we're to do today? Uh, isn't that we're to live our lives like Jesus and let Jesus lead us in how handle life situations. So the first criteria was to know Jesus and to know him well. Number two, second part of verse 22 says this. It says, it says, for the one, for, for one of these must be, become a witness, be a witness with us of his resurrection. So it had to be someone who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It had to be someone who witnessed his resurrection. Because the resurrection is central to the preaching of the apostles. The message of the gospel is canceled without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, the resurrection, you know, the word apostle itself means designated messenger. It's someone who's been chosen and sent on a mission, a mission to get out the message, the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And now he will save you. He will save everyone who believes in him and then follows him by faith. The message of the gospel. So they had to be a witness. They had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice who else was with this 120 people in verse 14. I want you to notice who else was in this crowd of believers. Verse 14. We've already said his mother was there. We learned that when we, when we talked about Mary. Who else? It says his brothers were there. Now why is that important? Because Jesus' brothers did not believe in him while he lived on earth. It wasn't until the resurrection that they came to believe. James, who I'm sure was in this group, became his brother, became the leader of the mother church in Jerusalem. Before Jesus rose, he didn't believe in him. But now he writes in his own book, James chapter 2 and verse 1, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Amen. He came to believe. Because Jesus rose, from the dead. So, 
Jesus is leading his church through the leaders that he chooses. chooses. The leaders who are qualified and uh, the leaders with his heart. Verse 24. Verse 24 says it this way. Praying to Jesus. Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know that's what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 44, verse 21. The Lord knows the secrets of the heart. God knows our hearts. He's the only one who knows our hearts. You know that's how we're going to be judged on Judgment Day. The Christians are going to be judged too. The Christians are going to be judged. And how are we going to be judged? We're going to be judged by the motives of our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Judas. Judas's heart was exposed, that it was hardened to the Lord. He went through the motions outwardly. Who would have known? But he never accepted Jesus as his Lord. So you see, in his heart, in his heart, he was sorry for what he did. Do you know that? He wouldn't have went out and hung himself if he did. wasn't sorry. But he wasn't sorry enough to repent. See, there's a difference. The Bible says there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says it, explains it. The Apostle Paul writing, he says it this way. He says it this way. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance. That means a turning from your sin. Repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see, Judas was not sorry enough to repent and to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. His sorrow led to death. Godly sorrow is what we need. Judas did not have it. So the leaders had to choose. The leaders had to choose who would take his place. The leaders had to choose those who had Jesus' heart. You know, last week, uh, we saw King Saul in the Old Testament and how he lost his kingship. You might remember, just to review, and we're going to look at it in just a second, 1 Samuel 13. Saul lost his kingship because he didn't wait for Samuel. Do you remember? He didn't wait. And God told him that now his kingdom would be taken. And he says it this way in verse 14, 1 Samuel 13, 14. It says, for now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out, listen to this now, a man after his own heart. And appointed him to be the ruler of his people because you have not kept the commandments of the Lord. Who is that man after God's own heart? You know it. David. David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. You see, here's the thing. The Lord, it says it, it, says it right there. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now, now, you see. David was just a boy. He was just a boy at this time. The, the, he was going to become king of Israel, but it wouldn't happen yet. It wouldn't happen for several years. But God told Samuel, go to David's house. 
Go to the, his, his father's name is Jesse. Go to the house of Jesse. And the king, the next king of Israel is going to be one of his sons. So what did he do? Samuel goes to Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And uh, David was the smallest boy. He was a little boy. <laughs> All seven of David's big brothers passed before Samuel. God didn't choose a one of them. So Samuel asked uh, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Jesse said, well, I do, but he's just a little guy. He's out there taking care of the sheep. <laughs> Samuel said, bring him in. Send him. Send him. God revealed to Samuel this was the one. And he did it with this famous verse, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says this way. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God was looking on David's heart. They, were, they, they needed to choose a leader that had the heart of the Lord. Had the heart of the Lord. Jesus is leading his church, and he's leading it in two specific ways. First, through the prayers of believers. Prayers that are a habit. Like the Apostle Paul prayed over the food on that ship, encouraging the sailors and the prisoners to eat. Prayers that are united, like Jesus prayed for his church to become one in him. Prayers that are directed, like the prayers of the disciples that help them decide who to choose for the next, 12, the next, next apostle. Secondly, Jesus is leading his church through the leaders that he chooses. Leaders who are qualified outwardly, yes. And leaders who, are, who have his heart inwardly. Like the young boy David, Samuel anointed to be the next king of Israel. Jesus is the captain of his ship, the Christian church. There are all kinds of waters the ship must go through, amen? But as we look to our leader, he will save us. He will lead us. We are his body. We are his church. Jesus is leading. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that we are your body and that you lead us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your word and, and that we can have a strong relationship with you through prayer and through your word. Lord Jesus, guide us. Help us to be who you want us to be. Help us to handle life's ups and downs the way you would. Show us the way. Lead us as a church as we seek to follow you. And to follow your way. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Amen, everyone. So right now we're going we're gonna to sing a hymn of uh, invitation, a familiar hymn. And as we sing, Jesus Christ calls.